Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Balm. My guest this week is Chase Mason. He sings in the Phoenix, Arizona death metal group, Gay Creeper, who just dropped a surprise record on us called An Unexpected Reality. We talk about Arizona, local scenes, early bands and inspirations, first tours, and a bit about the new record, which coming from someone who's uh, followed the band for a little while now, it's it's their best record. Um, I'm not going to argue with anybody. It's it's uh, it's fact. So uh, if you haven't checked that out yet, absolutely get on it. And that's uh, that's all I'm going to say. So here's my conversation with Chase Mason. This is the first ever podcast. This is fun. <laughs> Chase, thanks so much for uh, for coming on the show. How's how's Arizona today? Uh, it's pretty nice. I mean, the the weather is um, always pretty nice here during the quote unquote winter time. Yeah i uh, i have a I have a strange relationship with with Arizona because I'm not a fan of the heat, uh, and I have to always end up going there in the summer. So it just you know it's like it's it's like everything that i that i dislike the the way my body could feel but whenever i've been there in yeah like fall winter uh it just completely f- turns around because i've always enjoyed the skies like the I, I don't think there's anything better than an arizona sunset or or sunrise and, and i'm uh, i'm i'm assuming you feel the same way being from there what what are your thoughts on that yeah yeah we have crazy sunsets you know like it has a like we had a really crazy one the other night or the other evening. Um, it's like, looks like cotton candy. Yeah. Um, but, but I agree with you. I mean, I, I always tell people that the best time to come here is in the winter. Um, because if you come here during the summer, you're going to hate it. But if you come here during the winter where it's usually really shitty everywhere else, um, then it'll probably be, an, it'll be a nice time for you. So you're born and raised there, right? You're, uh, are, yeah. are you from Phoenix specifically? Yeah, Phoenix area. I grew up in Mesa, where you, you know where the Nile is. That that city of Mesa, it's kind of a, a suburb of Phoenix, but um, that's where I was born and raised. But I've lived in the in Arizona my whole life. I, I spent a year in Flagstaff, um, which is northern Arizona, but for the most part, just Phoenix area. So I'm curious, uh, at what age uh, did you have like your first experience connecting with music, like? Uh any kind of music, uh, anything that connected uh, to you just as a young person. Do you remember what it was? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was really young. I, uh, My dad was big into music. He didn't really play music, but he was really into music. And my dad and his family, his siblings were really into the Beatles. Um, so he got me into the Beatles when I was really young. I remember watching um, the Beatles movie Help a lot when I was younger and like memorized the lines and the songs and all that. And eventually my parents got me like a, a little fake acoustic guitar and it was like a toy, but I would play along and like sing along to this, to the songs. And then my dad took me to see Paul McCartney at ASU, uh, for my third birthday. So I was really young. Um, but he took me to see Paul McCartney. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you ended up playing guitar, right? That was like your first instrument? Yeah, I learned how to play guitar first, like on this, uh, you know, classic nylon string acoustic guitar that my dad had. Um, But then when I first started playing in bands, I 
played drums and bass and guitar. Like I played all of it, but I think I, uh, it started off with the guitar. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you could play everything. Um, did, was, was there other members of your family that were musical or are you just kind of this, uh, a new generation in your family that just has the ability? So my uncle, uh, my dad's younger brother played guitar um, he's the one that kind of brought the guitar into my life. Um, he played in some bands. He, I th- they played like, uh, I don't know if you'd call it like rockabilly kind of, I don't know. Like, you mm-hmm. know, Brian Setzer, um, sure, like was, swing his music. Band, was his band stray cats, stray cats. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that. Um, my, my uncle's band. And then I have a cousin, an older cousin who, played in like a punk band it, like i guess it was like a pop punk band like a skate punk band um and he's the one that got me into um punk and skateboarding and all that stuff um and my older brother you know i think you know growing up my parents wanted us to play music and they one of kind of like the rules we had to take piano lessons so my mm-hmm. brother uh took piano lessons and he got he was really good at the piano and then i took I had to take piano lessons when I was a kid, but I didn't really like it. It was just for some reason it was a rule like, Oh, if you want to play any other instruments, you have to take piano lessons first. Huh? That's, that's kind of an interesting, it, it, it yeah, it's like, uh, it's like, it's like you got to do your homework before you have actual fun. I mean, no, no, no disrespect to people who play piano. I wish I could play piano. It's like, it's an amazing instrument, but for a kid, it, it feels like it's probably more daunting than fun yeah it didn't it wasn't fun it was just kind of it was like a chore it was like something that i had to do go because there was this lady in our neighborhood that would give piano lessons so i remember going over to her house my mom dropping me off and i was like i don't want to do this but my parents had some (laughs) sort of like weird um rules about things like that one you got to play the piano first and even i remember um years later when me and my brother were into skateboarding and we wanted to go snowboarding. And my dad was like, you have, to, we, we're going to go up to like the, uh, around flags that we're going to go to this, the ski resort or whatever you call it. And, uh, but you guys have to, to learn how to ski before you snowboard. Right. So I, I don't know. There's just weird sort of rules like that. Like you, you had to learn the fundamentals or something. Right. It's respectable. I get it. Did your brother end up uh, can, can, like playing in any bands uh, like while you were, um, y- you know, starting to play music and stuff like that? Did you ever play together or anything? Um, we never played together. Um, we might have played. So when I was in junior high, um, it wasn't my first band, but it was probably my first real band that like played shows. Um, mm-hmm. I played bass in and it was kind of like a it was like an emo band. Um, we had a keyboard player and we wanted to sound like, uh, the get up kids or the anniversary. Um, nice. and my brother also played in a band that was kind of similar and he played keyboard in that band. So we didn't play in the same band, but we might've played the same like house show at some point. Got it. Uh, what I'm curious what that first show you played was, what was that like? Um, so I think this is the first show that i played in my first band that i played drums in was my uh my 13th birthday party and i had a house show nice. um so me and my 
junior high friends, whatever bands we had, we just played in my living room. Um, and then I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it more, but in Mesa where I grew up, it was like, there was a, a huge, uh, house show just like movement, I guess. Um, because at the time, you know, Jimmy worlds for Mesa. And then there was this huge interest in like emo or, or whatever, um, in Mesa, I think directly influenced by Jimmy world. Um, cause they like half of them went to my high school and it was like a big, um, hometown pride sort of thing. And totally. so there was kind of like, in the wave of, of, of Jimmy world, there was a lot of high school bands that were all kind of doing a similar thing. And I would say there was even like one or two generations of that even before me. Um, but there was just house shows every weekend. Um, so I think for my first band that I was talking about that, it was kind of my first real band. We played a lot of shows, but they were mostly house shows, but, um, there was house shows probably every weekend when I was in, you know, a teenager. Right. Was it harder to get into venues too, like like real real venues? Um, when you were a high school band out there, you know, I, I it's interesting growing up in L.A. because it, as much as L.A. has its own weird things about just everything with with playing music and and all that sort of stuff, but like, uh, you know, there's so many pay to play options. Kind of, mm -hmm. you know, if you're if you're because when you're young, you think the Sunset Strip is kind of that's. <laughs> that's making it you know like oh i sold 200 tickets to play the roxy to you know the kids i sold these tickets to or parents and stuff but like um was there options for playing bigger venues there when you were young yeah i think so i mean we did a couple times um i remember when i was a teenager but it was always like some sort of like local band showcase um i don't think it was ever any pay-to-play situations Mm -hmm. um, maybe one of those like, oh, you got to sell tickets for your show or whatever. Um, right. But yeah, it just seemed like the, there was a huge disconnect. Like it was like a completely different world or a completely different level. You know, even just like um, support, local support on like a touring package. It just seemed like it was a completely different level. And when you're younger, it's like those those people are like way older than me, you know. Right. What was the first band that you ended up singing in? It wasn't until I was uh, I was eighteen. Um, okay, I played guitar and sang in a band. Okay, got it. Yeah. But uh, I'm actually also curious uh, since you play. It seems like you played in so many different kinds of bands. Um, do you remember what your first recording experience was like? Um, yeah, I remember. You know, I remembered making like home recordings from the very beginning. Like probably my first band. Because I remember I, I was super into, um, you know, this is like in the very early 2000s, like the year 2000 probably. Um, mm -hmm. And it was like AOL Instant Messenger days, you know, and like that was the, the internet was kind of newly a, a household thing that everybody mm -hmm. at least had one computer, like a family computer with the internet. And that was like what all my friends were into. So along with playing in a band, it was, I got into like making a website for your band, you know, like mm -hmm. doing like a geo cities or like angel fire website angel fire, for your yeah. band. Yep. So then going along with that, you'd want to have some sort of like MP3 or something. So 
it, it probably my first recording experience was um, just recording with just like one microphone and just just to get some sort of you know track on your on your little website and then i learned um self-taught learned how to record onto like a four track or maybe it was like an eight track Mm -hmm. um and then learned how to operate it wasn't pro tools but it was like a very simple multi-track program i forgot what it was called now but it's it was pretty much like garage band you know, Got just it. like a very simple multi-track thing. And then I remember recording my, my junior high, like emo band, uh, recording it like that. Um, but actually doing it, you know, track by track or, or instrument by instrument, but it was all like done at home and just like self-taught. Right. Do you still have any of those recordings? I do. Wow. I do. I'll send wow. it to you. Let's say, what was the last time you revisited them? I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's a trip. I revisited it recently because um, probably in the last year I got, I felt what happened was I, I moved in with one of my old like childhood friends. He's like my best friend still, but we really went down this super like nostalgia trip of like, mm-hmm. Oh, do you remember this local band? Do you remember this local band? And I started trying to find um, on the internet, all these recordings from these local bands that we used to go see or listen to. Um, but in that I, tr- I hit up a couple people to see if they had the tracks for my old band and they did. Um, so I ended up tracking down some of it and, um, revisiting it. And so it's pretty good. Like for, for considering how, how young we were, um, right. it was actually pretty good. Like I was kind of impressed. Oh, that's awesome. Well, what was the first time you went into like a, a studio studio? Was that not until you were a bit older? Um, the first, yeah, until, so the, the kind of stonerish metal band that, uh, I was talking about, there's this, um, there's this producer, um, engineer in Mesa, his name's Bob Hogue and he has flying blanket studios. And I, the first time that I went into the studio was, um, it wasn't recording my own band, but there, I went with my friends that were, they were older, like I was in junior high and they were in high school and they were, um, kind of like, I guess an emo band. They were, they were one of the like second wave of after Jimmy world Mesa sort of emo bands. Um, okay. and we went to this studio and I was like, it was during the summer and it was, it's kind of like in like a storage unit sort of thing. And, uh, it was just hot because they couldn't run the AC because they were recording drums. And like, I just remember sweating and sitting on this couch, watching my friend, uh, record drums. And that was my first experience, like watching a band record in in a real studio. Um, but the guy that recorded Bob Hogue, he's kind of, so he was in this band called Pollen. Um, they were like an early fuel by ramen band. Do you remember that band at all? Pollen. I'm, I'll have to look up the the album cover. It sounds vaguely familiar. If it's like an early Fueled by Ramen release, I'm sure it came across my radar because I would have been working at a record store at the time. And I'm, you know, I, yeah. a lot, I really enjoyed a lot of that early stuff, like the Impossibles and yeah. No, so this like guy, that, yeah. this guy, I think he definitely recorded maybe a couple Impossible songs. Oh, um, interesting. So he record. He was in this band, Paulin, and then he recorded other bands. Like he recorded a lot of local bands. Like he recorded, um, the first, the format EP. 
um, oh, and okay. played on it. He recorded The Bled, their first EP. Um, oh, wow. He recorded yeah. um, Scary Kids, Scary Kids. Uh, okay. He recorded that band Recover, who's not from Arizona, but he recorded Recover, the Rodeo and Picasso, I think it was the album title. Wait, hold on. Um, they weren't from Arizona? I thought they were. Who, Recover? Yeah, were they not? No, they're, they're not from Arizona, no. I think they might be from like Austin. Oh, you're totally right. You are totally right. God, yeah. I haven't thought about that band in a while. That's crazy. Yeah, they're great. Um, and then there was uh, there was this band from Prescott, Arizona, this small town called Life in Pictures. Um, oh, yeah, we, metal band. We loved that band. Uh, we loved that band. And then they eventually became the band Hour of the Wolf. Um, yep. And so all those bands recorded with Bob. So my ba- my band, uh, when I was 18 or so, that I played guitar and sang in, we, re- we went to record with Bob. And I remember specifically being like, we like this Life in Pictures record, make us sound exactly like this. Like, <laughs> whatever, Because it was an all analog studio. Um, recorded okay. to tape. And we were just like, give us the same exact settings that you used for this band. And I remember, Hey, you like literally pulled out some like binder and like looked up like, all right, this is what I used for this or like whatever settings. Um, right. That was my first experience um, in like a real studio. And so you, uh, when we first met, you were working with Mantooth, right? Yeah. So for listeners at home, Mantooth is like the, the like booking uh, promotion company for, for kind of the the whole kind of Arizona area, like if if you're an an aggressive band or a punk band or whatever, I'm I'm sure actually. Wait, does Mantooth kind of do all genres, or has it always kind of been more punk leaning? Um, more punk leaning, like hardcore, but they but they definitely do all genres. Okay, yeah, and I you know I I feel like from the very first show probably until you know up until now, like we've always kind of worked with them. Um, when did you start working with uh with with Mantooth? Um, I think it was in 2014. Um, okay. I had, it was right around the time, like I had just started Gate Creeper. I think we had just started playing shows. Um, and I, I never had my uh, driver's license or, I, or a car until I was in much later in life. I, I don't, I, get, I didn't get my license until I was like 27. Um, but I remember I lived with, uh, my friend Ryan who did sound at the Nile and I had finally just got my first car and I had just a normal like nine to five job, but I was like, now I can get like a, a second job or something, you know, I'm more mobile. So I asked him if he could get me a job at the Nile and, uh, he got me a job there and I just, I worked security for a couple shows and then, um, Michelle's husband at the time, um, she, I used to play shows with his old band. So, um, I didn't, I hadn't met Michelle at that, at that point. And I worked for her for a couple shows. And then she found out that like, I knew her husband and he kind of like put in a good word. And I, she quickly after that, I guess she like trusted me then. Um, mm-hmm. and then from then she started giving me more responsibilities, like, for the promotion company, whether it was like running a show or doing the like promotion side of things like on social media. And then eventually I helped like booking the shows. Got it. Got it. Uh, you know, I always tell people like young, you know, young, nah, younger kids or, or whatever you want to say, like, 
you know, when they, uh, when they ask like, you know, how do we, you know, how do I, how does my, how do I get, how do I grow my band? And I'm always just like, make friends with the people who book shows, like just be cool to them. And eventually, you know, like they'll want to help you out if you're, if you're not annoying, you know, like if, if you can make it work, uh, just try to befriend whoever's throwing, throwing the shows. Cause those are, those are the people that are kind of the tastemakers in your area that can get things, you know, rolling for you. If there's a possibility to have a local band on the show. Um, and just from an outside perspective, uh, Mantooth seemed to definitely be, uh, like the beacon of, um, of just the whole Arizona aggressive scene. Um, and they also seem very welcoming. Everyone I've I ever dealt with, you know, I, 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 I want to say that Mantooth is probably the only promotion company in in the entire in all of the states that like I have a relationship with because every time we came through, everyone was so warm and kind and and you know made us feel like we weren't far from home. I mean, we you know we weren't geographically, but like you know, it, it, they they always made us feel like it was like a home away from from home. So um, I, I have a feeling that helped kind of build the community around there is that is that kind of a fair thing to say yeah absolutely i mean the mantooth and the nile as a whole because the nile the history of the nile like i started going to shows there when i was a kid and then it closed down for a long time and then michelle and mantooth was the the people that revived it like they reopened it and started doing shows there again and whether it's with the relationship with with national bands and local bands um it's all like very inclusive and also just working like everybody that works there even people that are working the door or security at the shows they're all people that just go to shows anyway so all within like that scene or that world of of uh people that play music or fans of uh aggressive music like you said like it's it's all like inclusive of that world so i mean whether it's putting new local bands on shows or like giving people jobs like it's definitely like a like you said a, a beacon of aggressive music in in phoenix but um they do shows other places like i remember coming down there i think probably when i met you we came down because there's a mantu show that they did in tucson i remember i went down with michelle to go to that show oh okay at that one venue that's changed names like 600 times probably uh, what's uh scrappies or uh scrap no this show this show that i'm talking about was um it was at club congress oh right 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 okay yeah that would have been with a ceremony and gouge away i want to say uh i think so it sounds yeah. right yeah that place is cool I, I actually really like that place we can get into uh gate creeper here now so i was curious because i was just you know looking at looking at releases and, and info and all this sort of stuff did you put out music before you played a show? Yeah. That's, I, I, I genuinely love when bands do that. Like, it makes me so, so psyched. Again, like, you know, whenever I've been asked about any sort of advice for, like, starting a band or, or any of that stuff, I always say, like, don't play a show until you have music recorded and you, like, have something to give people at the show. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, ha have it all set up and ready to go. Like, no one wants to go see your band play a ton of times and like, you know, like convince your friends to go see you play every other weekend at the same club. Like I always say, just like don't overplay your hometown and only play when it's worth it. And when you have something to like show people and to like have people be able to walk away 
from the show with music. So was that was that kind of the the plan going into it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a good move too. Like you said, you know, like if you don't have anything recorded, um, it might be a little bit hard to get shows just on the the idea of this new band, um, right? But when we started the band, um, I had a, I, there was a kind of a break in my life where I wasn't really playing music, um, and. I had recently just got sober and I was like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to play music again. And I didn't really, I don't know if it was like I I had exhausted the Phoenix area of, of new people to play music with, but um, I eventually started a band with some people that lived in Tucson. So um, I went down to Tucson and uh, the drummer and gate creeper, uh, the drummer and guitar player of, of gate creeper, they're still in the band. Um, but we started playing together and there's just the three of us and originally um we were going to have somebody else do vocals and i was just going to play guitar um so that's what we were jamming just like two guitars and drums um and then we booked time to record i think we had written like four songs uh, maybe we, re- we wrote five and decided to to throw the first one away um mm-hmm. but we went to record and we weren't even it wasn't even that we weren't we wanted to play we wanted to record before we played shows, but we didn't even really have like a full band. Um, there was just three of us. So we went and recorded and it was only a couple weeks before we recorded that. I was like, uh, I guess this, I'm going to have to do vocals on it. We recorded it just the three of us and then just like put it out on Bandcamp. And is that the release that ended up coming out on King of the Monsters? Yeah. Got it. Got it. I'm fascinated by that label they're from arizona they're an arizona label right King of yeah Monsters. yeah yeah the guy named mike gens runs it he's a he's an arizona legend i, I yo i can tell i mean we from an outside perspective someone who has purchased several records off that label throughout my entire time being into vinyl and aggressive music or whatever it's like they they're a label that has been kind of consistent but very sporadic for like what 20 years yeah yeah they put out like the locust some locusts it was like was it a locust man is the bastard split or something like that yeah they did that they did a a reversal of man split um Mm -hmm. and then they did like breather resist records uh unra like all these bands that like were all super credible and just like dark and heavy and or just weird you know yeah obviously man is a bastard and locust and but then like continue you know throughout the years they just will just randomly put something out and you're like damn still a label that's sick um i'm curious like uh how did how did your connection with with that go is he just like an old friend and you're like hey i have this new band and send him the stuff and he's like yeah i'll put this out um so Mike Gens, like I, I knew who he was and he, he's older than me. And like I said, he's kind of, he, he's an Arizona legend, but I didn't know him. Um, I had knew the label and I had seen, I had friends that he had like put out their records or whatever, but I didn't really have any contact with him. Um, and he, we put up, we recorded the, the first EP of the four songs and then we put it up on Bandcamp first. We, you know, like we didn't even try to get it um, physically released. Sure. We just put it out. And Yeah, then, you're a new band. You're just putting something out. You just want people to hear it. 
Yeah. Yeah. So pretty instantly, um, we started getting hit up by whether it's like some spam sort of stuff of like, hey, we want to release your you know, <laughs> recording on CD or tape. And yeah. and I think I was starting to talk to him because it was exciting. I was like, oh, people want to put this out. And I was already kind of talking to, to someone else about putting it on, out on vinyl. And then I got a message or an email or something from Mike Enns um, saying, hey, I want to put this out, um, which was I, I was surprised um, even though he's like from Arizona and we're an Arizona band, but like you said, it's, he has a consistent discography, uh, of releases, but it's, he doesn't put out a whole lot, like maybe totally. only like one or two records a year. So when he kind of, uh, expressed interest, I was like, dropped everything out, everything else that was on the table and was like, yeah, let's do it. So, um, he put that out and actually he, our our first EP, the the vinyl release is a split uh, split label release. The other guy who helped put it out is a uh, an older Tucson legend. Uh, this guy named Brendan, and he was in the band Groundwork and right. Bury Me Standing. Um, right, and so they they you know put it is that put it out together. Records? Yeah, right. Which is another label that's been consistent with uh with releases for for a real long time too looking at all your output it's remarkable how prolific you've been like you know as just an outsider you know who's who's known you for a while now and and uh familiar with your bands but like to you know today and last night when i was like clicking around and like really looking at your discography between gate creeper and then being a part of spirit adrift like it's extremely consistent and I'm just curious, like, if you have any sort of thoughts on on what that's attributed to or because, I mean, you were touring, I'm assuming, throughout all of this at the same time, too. So h- how did you make all of that kind of work and what was the motivation for putting out that many releases between both bands? Um, well, for Gay Creeper, you know, like we just we just kind of did things as it fell. Um, and things just kind of fell in our laps. You know, we did that EP and uh then we started playing shows a little bit later we you know we only we had to write more songs to be able to even have like a full set so <laughs> right. we, we did that and then we got the opportunity to do like a, a split with uh takeover and destroy which was put out by another like local label so it's like hey we we just wrote this new song to put in our set so we'll, we'll record this one and then we put that out and then um at that point we were playing more shows we hadn't toured yet. Um, I think we, we did our first tour um, just on the West Coast. And we were touring. We didn't put anything out. And then when we did our first East Coast tour, um, we had met a lot of people. Like we met Dom from 8389. And he asked us to do a split for his uh, Record Store Day cover series. So we recorded a pentagram cover. Um, we met outer heaven, um, and we ended up doing a four way split, um, with them. And so we recorded and it's, we definitely benefited from having our friend in Tucson, Ryan Bram that we record with. So it is like pretty easy to, um, get together and record if we wanted to, cause for, you know, for a little bit, we were just recording songs for splits or something. So we were just going to record one song at a time. 
Um, and then on our, our, after our, our first like East coast tour, I think that's when things really picked up. Um, cause that was like a, you know, our first couple tours were all just DIY tours that I, I booked myself. Um, right. but I think from touring, uh, and meeting people that way. And then also we were playing a lot more shows locally and I was involved with booking the shows. So I met a lot of other bands through that and, you know, things just started snowballing and we just kind of took whatever opportunities fell into our lap. And, right. Uh, and then, you know, eventually we ended up signing to relapse. Yeah. And like, as, as a, as a metal, you know, fan and, and kit, like, I can only imagine how exciting it was to get that relapse offer, you know, like, yeah. you're like, well, that we just jumped to basically like one of the top, you know, arguably top three or top four metal labels of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was that experience for you? Just kind of even making that. I mean, yeah, it's you, you're juggling all these credible, cool, smaller labels, obviously, like King of the Monsters uh protagonist escapist a389 um and then yeah then you get the relapse offer like and that's probably i'm assuming very different than the other uh, experiences considering i'm assuming a lot of the other experiences were just kind of handshake deals um yeah. and now you're dealing with with the big boys like what was that what was that like for you um so the story with relapse is that when we you know we, we had met dom and, you know, we had a, a lot of friends who were on what, full of hell was a big one. I think full mm-hmm. of hell and, and Dylan was one of the people that kind of put Dom onto us. Um, and so we did that split with him for the record store day covers thing. And he wanted to do our record. So we had been touring a bunch and we had written new songs and we had enough songs to, you know, do a full length. So we went and recorded and the, our first record Sonoran deprivation, like we recorded that and it was supposed to come out. Dom was supposed to put that out on, on a three, eight, nine or a three eighty nine or whatever you may call it. Um, yeah. so we finished that record and we, we paid for it ourselves and everything. It was going to kind of be like a, another handshake sort of deal of like, we're going to pay for it and then you're going to pay us back for the recording. Um, so we, we, we did that record and we finished it. And this was the first time that we worked with Kurt Ballou. Um, we recorded with our friend Bram, who we always record with, still do. And then that was our first one that we had Kurt mix. So it was like, that was alone, like a big thing. And mm-hmm. uh, we were really proud of it. And we sent it to Dom and he was like, yo, this is really good. Um, I'm kind of slowing my label down right now. And... I could put this out, but I don't think that I, I, I'm able to give it the, you know, like the I'm attention not able to give it the attention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he was like, I'm, I'm going to send it to relapse. And I, at the time I was like, what? Like, yeah, there's no way that that's going to happen. But <laughs> there, there's a lot of bands that have gone from a three, eight, nine to, um, to relapse, you know, like there's weekend nachos, there's, um, Ilsa, Seven Sisters mm-hmm. Asleep, you know, even now like Full of Hell. This was before Full yep. of Hell was on Relapse, but he had a yeah. he had a uh, an integrity, a funnel. He was an integrity, it, yeah, yeah. So it was almost like they were like a farm, the farm team for for Relapse. Yeah, it was the upstream. It was like the yeah. the 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 dark heavy upstream deal label. Yeah. 
So, so he said he was going to send it to relapse. And I was like, okay, you know, like I wasn't even, I was like, basically what you're telling me is that we have to find a new label to put out this. Right. So we started talking to other people and that's like, uh, Justin from a closed casket. Um, he was talking about, he was going to put out the record and then we've, you know, it was only a couple days time, but I was kind of like, Oh, we got to figure something new out. And then we got the call from relapse and I think it sweetened the deal that our record was already done. Um, and they could hear it rather than just signing a band, hopefully hoping that their first record was going to be something that they were into. Yeah. And um, you know, they, they don't have to wait for the band to record. It's just like, here's a done deal. It's ready. What do you, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's easy, easy to market too. Cause you just kind of, you know what you're getting into. It's not crossing your fingers and hoping that the band you just signed is going to put out something of quality. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also, um, we didn't know it at the time, but when we did our first East Coast tour, um, we played a show at Kung Fu Necktie. And um, a lot of the people from the relapse office had came to see us. They didn't say anything like they didn't, you know, make themselves known, but mm-hmm. they were definitely coming to like keep an eye on us and scout us out. And they bought our record or whatever. So it wasn't until I got that call that like, hey, we heard your record. We've actually seen you guys play and we've been following you guys. So we want to sign you. Definitely. Actually, uh, and just to backtrack for one second, you you had mentioned uh, the West Coast tour with with Gate Creeper early on. Um, I'm assuming was that your fir- that wasn't your first touring experience, was it? It was. Oh, it was. Okay. Wow. So your first tour ever was with Gate Creeper. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Do you have any uh, memories of that? Uh, anything that stands out to you? Not like a hey, tell me a crazy tour story, but just like <laughs> do, do you remember what your what your perception of touring was like for that for that first west coast and also how far west did you go did you go up to washington or was it mostly california um it was it was full west coast so um we definitely had the benefit of we already had like two records out or ep and a split and thanks to the internet you know it's i'm sure it'd be a lot harder for bands that are trying to tour that maybe don't even have a record out yet or um, you know, like starting super ground level. So we were definitely uh, benefited from already having things out and already having some sort of kind of like internet buzz. Um, so I had met, I went to Maryland Death Fest, I think it was in 2014, maybe mm-hmm. 2013, uh, 2014. And then afterwards I went to Boston and I, I went and saw a, a Mind Eraser show in this like basement and I met mark who's in the band fuming mouth okay um, and they were a newer band too and we we just by chance met and kind of hit it off so our first west coast tour we flew um fuming mouth out to arizona and then we just shared a van and, and equipment and we did that first west coast tour with them so um you know it's like well like eight people in a in one van Nice. And it was just a, a pretty classic first like early touring, you know, sleeping on people's floors or whatever. But right. we played some cool shows, you know, like we played at uh we played at Program Skate Shop. Yeah. Um and yeah, we played all the way up. We played Portland and Seattle and then I think we played in Idaho on the way back down and I think we did a Utah show. So yeah. it was like full it was the full west coast loop that you do from arizona right oh that's cool 
Oh, that's super yeah. cool. God, it's weird to think the program was around then, but yeah, geez, time flies. That's wild. <laughs> that's wild. Do you, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I feel like those first tours are the ones that kind of let you know if you're equipped to deal with it, especially, I, you know, cramming two bands into one van. That's shoulder to shoulder. I'm assuming, was there a trailer or no? No trailer. No trailer. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> man that's uh yeah that's that's the that's the best test of your limits right there where you're like well are you gonna be able to hang you know uh yeah that's uh d- did you did you find comfort in that or did you or i guess just in general like how how have you dealt with with touring are you someone that um that can hang and you embrace it or or do you do you find yourself having a little bit of a harder time um, on longer tours? Um, I'm one of the people that I can hang. Um, yeah, I think just life experiences that I've had, I've been able to um, make myself comfortable in uncomfortable situations, um, right? You know, like mentally or whatever sort of rituals or whatever it is to get your own space that you need. Um, yeah, and so I, I acclimated to it pretty easily um and i think you know there's i think that there's some people that they they find out pretty quickly that it's not for them or Mm -hmm. in some cases you find out like hey maybe this this you make the decision like hey i don't think that you're cut out for this you know like maybe (laughs) this isn't maybe you shouldn't be touring with our band which we had that experience um you know, like through touring we found out you know one of the our original members is like hey maybe this isn't working out you know so, yeah. um, for me personally, I've, I, I do really well with it. I think definitely. Yeah. You, th- what you just described is exactly it. I think, you know, like I, I could say that the, the touche van is you could probably hear a pin drop in there aside from the, whatever's listening to, you know, who are, whatever the driver's listening to, but everybody, everybody's got their headphones in everyone's, you know, we all, once we get to the venue, we all scatter, you know, it's like we, we load mm. in, do the sound check and then, you know. I go hit record stores, uh, you know, someone goes on a jog, someone goes to the gym, you know, it's like everyone has their, their mental break, you know, their, 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 their personal time for a mental break. And, and I think that's so important, you know, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have a missed opportunity here. I know you do a lot of design work too. Um, you've done stuff for bib for full of hell and whatever. When did, when did the art side for you come into play? Um, I mean, I've always been kind of artistic, um, in in all senses i guess musical and like visual stuff but um i used to mess around with photoshop or like a whatever free version of photoshop was available (laughs) when i was a kid right um because i also like i mentioned earlier like it all goes along it's it's not i've never done got into art just for art's sake it's always art with a a very direct purpose and usually Mm -hmm. because i'm interested in music and interested in playing in bands it's like it goes hand in hand so when i was younger it was like doing art for my bands or building websites like html websites for my bands so um it it kind of happened organically which like the stuff that i got into like when i started gate creeper um i knew exactly what i wanted things to look like and you know, it's very referential of things like the Xerox, like black and white, like death metal demo and like Slayer mag, like zine sort of things that has a very specific look to it. 
Yeah. Um, and I know that that's what the, the look that I wanted for gay creeper and even just like merch designs and all that. So how I got into the things that I, I do currently was just out of function that I started, uh, gay creeper and I knew what I wanted things to look like. And I, at first would hire or commission other people to make things that I, how I wanted it to look. Um, and then eventually I just figured out how to do it myself. Um, and I definitely got some tips. Like one time I did a, we were doing a, I think it was for our East coast tour. We, we wanted to do a tour tape. It was just like a tape of all the songs that we had already put out. Um, but I wanted to do like a very classic, like demo looking, um, Xerox tape. And I hit up my friend Dean who, uh, lives in Rhode Island. And, uh, we, we were just like internet friends at that point, but he was doing cool art stuff. So I hit him up and he, he made the thing and he was kind of including me in the process. So he was like, this is how it's going to look, but then I'm going to like copy it. And then it will look like this. So I was like, Oh cool. That's how you do it. Um, mm. And he kind of gave me like the whole formula of like, this is what you do. And then you go to, you go to Staples and you go to the, you know, the copy <laughs> machine and then you copied a bunch and then you scan it back in and then you do this. So he, he basically like wrote out the whole like recipe of how to do this, um, this look of that I'd been looking for. So after that, I was just like, cool, I'm just going to do it myself from now on. Right. How often do you find yourself doing design work for people? Is it, has it become consistent or how do you juggle that? I actually, I mean, I haven't been doing it much lately there. It's one of those things that snowballs really quickly. So say like you do a shirt design, like I did a shirt design for full of hell, for example, and, um, they post it or that shirt gets released or whatever. And then people are like, Oh, who did that? And then they'll say, Oh, Chase did it. Or they tag me in it. So then from that specific design, then like five other people hit me up to do their shirt designs. And then I do those five shirt designs and then I, people just start hitting me up like crazy. Um, and it snowballs. So, when I was busy, I was doing a whole bunch of stuff and then people were, were finding me through seeing the stuff that I had done. But then once I started slowing things down, I think when, when gate creepers started to uh, be really busy, I started to have, I, I couldn't take as many art commissions or whatever. And then once that slows down, then people stop, you know, like hitting you up to do it. Uh, but I definitely had to make a conscious decision to, to slow down on that stuff when I was getting busier with, with gate creeper. Good on you for being able to uh, to know your limit with that, because yeah, so you know, it's 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 tough too if you're like potentially a people pleaser, where you're like, well, I want to kind of do all of this and make everyone happy, but I have these other these other things I have to also put my time into. So the uh, this new EP that just came out, the, the an unexpected reality, it's it's obviously being received really well. You know, it, it I think there's something really awesome about putting out music during this weird time that we're all in where we can't you know play shows and all this sort of stuff but um there's i feel like there's a deeper attention from people when you when a band does release something and though your band has been consistent and all your records have been you know well received and and uh hyped and all that sort of stuff i feel like as soon as you drop this thing like the entire internet was 100 percent like yep like this is we're, we're here for this. So, mm -hmm. um, what what uh, I guess I'm just kind of curious, like what kind of takeaway you got since 
since releasing it that um, does anything feel different this time than for you, uh, like being on the inside than in the past? Yeah. Um, I mean, this record is like a whole different beast for like many different reasons. Um, you know, I th we've done two full lengths now with relapse. So we did like the huge, you know, not major label, but like big independent label yeah. rollouts and like press cycles and even touring cycles and all that on, on records and did it the, the kind of modern way, traditional way. Um, and you know, maybe that kind of maybe jaded a little bit or at least burnt out. Um, and so this whole record musically and the way that we, we released it was trying something different than what we had been doing. Um, it was like an experiment. So I had the idea to, I wanted to do a, a record that sounded a little bit different than we've been doing partly just to like, I was kind of not in a bad way, but just kind of bored with what we were doing. I wasn't feeling, um, in, enthusiastic or like motivated to write the next like gate creeper full length. So I, I had this idea to do a record that was like faster songs on one side and then it's slower um, on the other. And I was kicking it around. And at the time when I had, was discussing doing this, we were supposed to be touring all of 2020. So it was like kind of put it on the back burner. Uh, but then once everything got canceled, I'm like, now's the time to do it. So it gave me like a, a rush of creative energy or whatever to, to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. The record rules. Uh, I, I, I it's, I've always enjoyed your band, but this is, this is my favorite things thus far. Uh, and I figured it would had to have been pretty recent considering, considering there's a song called super spreader on it, which yeah. uh, I don't know <laughs> if that, that term would have come to you in uh, 2000, you know, 18. <laughs> so, no. Yeah. When did you record it? We recorded it in July, 2020. Okay. Got it. Got it. Wow. So that had to have been a very recent term, the the super spreader thing. Yeah. I mean, it, during the, that time, Arizona was like the epicenter of the world. Um, oh, true. For, I forgot. I mean, God, the whole thing has so, moved around so fast. I forgot about Arizona was really, was really bad there for a minute. So I'll wrap this, I'll wrap this up with, uh, with the last question that I like to ask everybody, which is, uh, do you remember the first time where you felt like you were doing the thing that you've been working so hard towards? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we, we touched on a little bit, but I think the having um, our record released on vinyl, um, the King of the Monsters release of the, of the Gate Creeper, the four song EP, um, it was definitely, you know, I had done things in the past. And I hadn't toured yet. You know, at that point, we had, Gate Creeper hadn't even toured yet. So I hadn't experienced any of that, but everything about, being in a band I had experienced, whether it was writing songs, playing shows, releasing music digitally, or even like self-releasing stuff. But the first time that we had, you know, a record actually put out by a label and of, uh, you know, having, holding a vinyl copy of, of these songs that you wrote and recorded, like that was definitely the first time I was like, Oh, you know, like I'm really doing it, you know, because you know, you, there's this disconnect when you're young or even a young band where you're like, you see bands put out records or, you know, sign to labels or go on tour. And you're like, that seems like a, so far away from me, 
you know, like that's a completely different level than I'm on. And then once you, you, you achieve those things, you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm on this level where I thought it was kind of unattainable. Um, and it seems pretty small now, but definitely having the first vinyl release was, was that moment for me, I think. Nice. Yeah. I could, uh, definitely can relate to that being such a vinyl kid. And then the, our first seven inch, uh, getting it in my hand the first time and just being like, damn, like it's, it's reality. It's such a special feeling, you know? Um, yeah. It's uh, the first time I think I saw, actually, no, I, I can say for certain the first time I saw Gate Creeper play was the Cannibal Corpse Power Trip tour. Mm-hmm. We had the, Tommy uh, playing with us? Yeah, with Tommy playing with you, which was wild to see. Poor Tommy that night. He was at the observatory when he had the bass, oh, yeah. the, the bass drum trouble. Poor guy. <laughs> I, I just saw, you know, I know Tommy pretty well now playing a band with him myself, but like just watching him panic but still be professional and like want to do his best and honestly from an outside perspective I, it's because the guitars and the vocals were so abrasive and like pounding like you couldn't really tell but you know once you saw it starting to starting to resolve itself with someone helping him out and switching out the kick drum i was like oh okay that's that's what's happening here but uh you know yeah. it was it was awesome to see i mean the, uh i was so i was so blown away cuz i'd only heard uh, I'd only been familiar with the band name, but I hadn't seen you guys play. And uh, mm-hmm. it was it was awesome. I mean, that tour, I'm assuming for you, had to have been a pretty special circumstance. Was that like the first big support tour that the band had? Um, No, but I mean, it was definitely the biggest. Um, okay. We, our first package like support tour was with um, Skeleton Witch, Iron Reagan, and Oathbreaker. Oh, okay. Um, And that was at the... Uh, fall of 2016 and that was like right you know our our first record on relapse came out when we were on that tour um so that was our first package tour and then after that we did um a couple shows with code orange like they did one of those tours where there was uh different support it was uh, orange code uh code orange and youth code um, and then they oh. had kind of revolving support. So we, right. we just did Arizona and Texas. And then later we did, um, we did a tour with nails, um, nails and toxic Holocaust. That was like a, a big package tour, I guess. And then we did a tour with Paul bear after that. And then we did the cannibal corpse tour. So that was a pretty crazy year of touring. That's that was all in one year. Yeah. Jesus well, Christ. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's busy. That is uh, a yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, that's that's yeah, that's that's pretty extreme. This has been a blast. I'm so happy we got to do this. Um, congratulations again on the new EP. It's it's awesome. Um, if anyone's listening and somehow hasn't heard it yet, uh, do that uh, immediately. Um, and yeah, we'll talk soon, man. Cool, man. Thank you. Be good. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe or follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. And if you can spare a moment to give us a rating and review on Apple, it helps the show gain more visibility and that can make all the difference. Thank you, and I'll see you again next week. Yeah.